0: we are of course uh, streaming out uh on the twitter spaces we enjoy your calls there uh, i'm not sure if we're gonna have time for calls today but i'm going to try because i see there's a lot of energy already on today's topic and today's guest and we are going to be wandering into some very challenging and controversial uh territory uh dr victory and i decided that after Uh, sort of thinking through some of the stuff that um, Naomi Wolf threw down. We thought we should get someone with some expertise in reproductive health to sort of parse through some of this stuff. Now, again, highly controversial, as you see in the bottom of the page here above the screen. CDC states COVID vaccines are safe, effective, and reduce your risk of severe illness. This program features medical professionals discussing Difficult, controversial topics, we want to give that environment where we can bring all kinds of ideas, but please always consult your personal physician before making any decisions about your health. So starting from safe and effective and then trying to look at the data and seeing what we can figure out and, you know, are there ways to parse it out in safer ways and more effective ways? These sorts of things that we always do in medicine. So we're just really doing what we've always done. So uh, Dr. will introduced in just a couple of minutes. Uh, will be with us. And of course, Dr. Victory joins after a few minutes. So stay with us. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? So here we are, everybody, again, we have moved our Wednesday show to Tuesday this week, uh, because I'm going to be out of town on Thursday and Dr. Thorpe couldn't make it in here on Wednesday. So we decided to bring Dr. Victory in here on Tuesday. So we appreciate you guys kind of rolling with us. Uh, Susan, is there any other scheduling issues I should alert people to because we are traveling a bit coming up?
3: Not till the end of October.
0: I'm, what's that?
3: When you go to when you go to Cleveland,
0: so we're gonna to try to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next It'll week. It'll probably
3: also? be no. It's the end of October.
0: Okay, good. So we'll be on a normal. Schedule. We'll be around the rest of the,
3: the month, Dr. on time.
0: Doctor Thorpe made a comment about him stopping speaking when his wife talks, and then I'm trying to practice that, that <laughs> yes. injunction. So we have uh, Ryan Holiday coming in. He has a new book. Uh, discipline is the. No, I have to get you that, that. Discipline is the outcome kind of thing. Uh, we have uh, another interesting doctor coming in with Dr. Uh, Victory next week, Dr. Spiro pentazitos We'll talk about that uh, when we get Dr. Victory in here. That is next week. Uh, and then we have Vinay Prasad coming in uh, in two weeks from Wednesday, who is really one of my favorite people and guests and sort of trying to pull everything together, so we will do that. Let me first get right to Dr. Thorpe, though, and tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Jim Thorpe is a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist, maternal-fetal medicine physician, 43 years of OB experience. He currently sees about 8,000 high-risk pregnancies per year. Most recently, Dr. Thorpe was focusing focusing some of his research on COVID, the pandemic, and has published some peer-reviewed scientific publications I, I would call them polemics, sort of throwing throwing down uh, some interesting ideas, some um, I want to hear more about. So uh, also you can follow Dr. Thorpe at uh, getter.com, James A. Thorpe, T-H-O-R-P-M-D, James A. Thorpe, M-D, on Getter. Dr. Thorpe, welcome to the program. Dr. Drew,
2: thank you very much. And Dr. Victory, thank you very much for having me on your illustrious platform. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. So this will be interesting. So we, Dr. Kelly and I have differing ideas and, and we're going to have differing sort of um, sort of questions for you. Uh, I read a lot of your stuff. It was very interesting. It was very polemical. I'm not quite sure what to do with some of it, but the stuff I want to get into uh, with you here. Uh, the one thing that I thought we you and I would get into a little bit is your your economic theory on the pandemic. I thought that was rather fascinating. Can you sort of give us a thumbnail of that?
2: Well, you know, I think that I, I'd rather stick more to my wheelhouse, which is okay. what I know to be true and certain w- with regard to my area of expertise, which is OBGYN and maternal okay. Fetal medicine.
0: Okay. And, and by the same token, that was going to be my next sort of move, which is, so I'm an internist by, uh, and I practice general internal medicine. I did addiction medicine, worked in a psychiatric college for many years, but general medicine has always been my through line practice. And so right now I'm primarily seeing people well over the age of 65 and in that population I've had, well, to be fair, I've seen COVID across the lifespan. I've seen COVID everywhere, but but COVID in the elderly population was killing my patients and now I can treat them with Paxlovid, things get better. No one's going to the hospital, no one's dying. The vaccines seem to be effective. I'm not really worried about side effects in a 75 year old the way I'm worried about side effects in a 22 year old. So it's a very different population. And so my view of the, of the vaccines are, hmm, they've been very effective. They kept my patient out of the hospital. Uh, they're they helping not let people die, as is some of the therapeutics. But I sure am glad I'm not trying to decide whether or not a 27-year-old should take this vaccine. That's where I get very confused on what the right decision is. So let's talk about maternal fetal health. What are your concerns as an obstetrician?
2: Well, I think that, Dr. Drew, my first concerns are the multiple reports from multiple independent databases suggesting some very grave concerns about rolling this out I'll stick with pregnancy but in women of ad- women of reproductive age and also in children so so for what I do is high risk obstetrics and you know I'm very busy uh, I focused on a lot of clinical research as you have introduced me, my main concern with uh, what I've observed in in pregnancy, and you know I have an extensive experience, and there aren't many OBs or maternal-fetal medicines around that are seeing the volume and have seen the volume that I've seen throughout this pandemic. I'm, I think I'm on track for eight or nine thousand patients, uh, high-risk patients this year. So, I have my fingertips and have had my fingertips on the pulse of obstetrical outcomes over the last two years and over the last 43 years. That's what I do. That's all I do. I live, breathe, and eat it. So, I'm also focused on, on clinical data and clinical research and what everybody else is publishing around the world. So, I, I would fake focus my main concern on why. Are we using an experimental vaccine that's never been tested ever with any long-term outcome? Why are we pushing this in pregnancy?
4: There's been a long, long, long standing history of horrible tragedies
2: that we have produced as a community, a global community, Mostly United States community, uh, disaster, capitalistic community, of obstetrical disasters. You know, we can, we don't even have to go back to the mid 1800s, uh, but I will mention that is Ignaz Philipp Semmelweis in Vienna lying in hospital, foetal uh, mortality rate, healthy, beautiful, young women pregnant going in to have a baby. Almost fifty percent of them dead. Out of the morgue. So Ignaz Philipp of course, uh, figured that out, but uh, was one of the only ones that figured it out, and he was chastised and persecuted. You know, we we go through that was a horrible disaster. We we go up to the more current times. We see the thalidomide disaster. Uh, hopefully, uh, I, I think Dr. Drew, you probably know the thalidomide disaster, and you probably know, Dr. Drew, the well, diethylobesterol disaster as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, the DES and the thalidomide disaster. But, but you know, it's interesting, you know, your your disasters are these GYN obstetrical disasters. When I arrived at the psychiatric hospital in 1985 as the new young internist, I acquired all the medical patients there. Uh, And it was like a museum of the disasters of the standard of care of psychiatry. Lots of people who somebody saw fit to put a spike up in here and sweep back and forth. uh, Not only the lobotomies, but the cingulotomies and all sorts of dis. Terrible psychosurgeries that just destroyed people. And then I had to struggle through the opioid crisis the whole while, screaming about what the people were, they were killing my patients with overprescribing of opiates. And I was told I was opiophobic, I was old-fashioned, I didn't understand the standard of care, there was something wrong with me, I was interested in the suffering of patients. This is what we do. In, in, so whenever people come up against the standard of care and sort of glorify it, I, I, want, I want patients to get the standard of care, but I want us as clinicians to always assail the standard of care to make sure it truly is the standard, because we have made some grotesque errors, to your point. So thus, thus we have these conversations. That, that's why you're here. So, so help, us, help us understand uh, what we should be concerned about.
4: Well,
2: uh, this is the greatest disaster in the history of medicine. It's the greatest disaster in the history of obstetrics. You don't have to be somebody as erudite and and as brilliant as you uh, or any physician. Uh, You can be, have no education at all. We were all endowed with a cardinal rule, the golden rule that you don't ever, ever, ever use anything in pregnancy that is new or potentially toxic, not even potentially toxic, not even cigarettes or alcohol or wine. We don't recommend that, let alone A substance which is completely unknown that's never been tested. So this is a gross derelict violation of the cardinal rule of obstetrics. Um that's horrible. So the other problem that I have, a major problem, and I will fight it until my last breath, and I will fight it, is it's completely against science. You know, this is what the American board of obstetrics and gynecology and every other specialty boards, including your board, Dr. Drew, American board of internal mm-hmm. medicine, all your societies, they have gagged you and I and every physician, every nurse in the United States of America that occurred a year ago. And that is illegal, it's unethical, it's immoral. And as Sir Karl Popper pointed out, the famous uh, Brit knighted researcher and philosopher of the last century, science progresses by refutation and falsification. I have falsified,
4: I have uh, totally torn down, eliminated any politically correct
2: uh, narrative that has been put on my specialty of obstetrics and maternal field medicine. Nobody in that world will debate me or challenge me. And there's a good reason why they can't do that, Dr. Drew, because I have the data and they don't have any safety data. They can't argue with me. What they are focused on in my specialty is the terminology that they use for pregnant women. You know, we're getting uh, our hands slapped now for using pregnant women. As, and when you see an article in the obstetrics and it comes up, a pregnant person or a chest feeding person, you know, there's some problems of the scientific method there. And that's what the mainstream media and the mainstream medical journals that by and large are corrupted. That's what they're doing. So, you know, I've shown um, 32 completely independent sources of data showing that there's a very, very strong danger signal. And if you don't believe those, Dr. Drew, then will you believe Pfizer
4: themselves?
2: Will you believe Pfizer themselves in the Pfizer 5.3.6 document, post marketing document? I've had in my possession for almost 18 months. Now, it was given to me by a whistleblower from Pfizer. I I couldn't vouch for the, it's a 30 page uh, clearly written, It looked official, but I didn't have any way to prove that. But uh, when we obtained FOIA requests to them and it was denied and they said, well, we're not gonna give you that for 75 years, And then a federal judge orders them to give it under order of law, federal law. And the tranche finally comes out, the Pfizer April Fool's joke that I call it, came out April 1st this year, just a few months ago. Exact same document that I've had in my possession for 18 months. Okay, so this is Pfizer, Dr. Drew, telling you and the rest of us physicians that we're supposed to have done our due diligence. Not supposed to. We don't follow orders. We do our own due diligence and we give our own patients our own informed consent. Bureaucrats don't do that. Lesson learned, you do not tell physicians what to do as bureaucrats, as politicians, as agencies at, at the board level. You don't do that that you don't eliminate opposition. Let the doctor be the doctor. So on page seven of that document, Dr. Drew, 1,223 dead people after taking the vaccine in probably 70 days of rollout. 70 days, um, probably, you, you know, it's, it's 90 day, but it started G- December 1st, 2020 to February 28th. 2021. Yes, that's 90 days, but they were sent out on December 1st. They didn't start really vaccinating people till many days later, probably a a week or two later. So you're looking at 1,223 deaths in 70 days. Listen, you, you know, you and I are seasoned. We know our stuff. We've been around the block. In 1976, my brother, Kenny Ed and I were in medical school at Wayne State University School of Medicine. The swine flu rolled out, and they rolled out the swine flu vaccination. In half that, uh, in, in three months, there were 26 deaths. There was absolute global panic. Everybody demanded it was immediately removed from the market, and so be it. And so it was, never to be seen in the light of day again. We fast forward another 24, 25 years to the turn of the century and we have the rotavirus vaccine. Dr. Drew, that didn't even kill anybody. We had a few cases of intussusception in toddlers. It was immediately ripped off the market.
4: Fast forward another uh, 20 years, the most grotesque
2: thing you've ever seen in your life. There's people dropping dead like flies in the first 70 days of rollout we document themselves. Pfizer themselves telling you there's a 1,226 dead people after they received the vaccine. It should have immediately yeah. been ripped off the market in December of 2020.
0: No ifs, ands, or yeah. buts about it. So, so I'm going to stop you right there because I want to bring in Dr. Victory. I have to take a little break before we bring her in. But you, at the beginning, you asked the question, and now you framed it with data. You know why did we do this, and and that's what Dr. Kelly and I have been, Dr. Victor and I have been trying to piece together. And the best and you're I we could not uh, agree with you more about bureaucrats and centralized medicine making decisions and how that's harmful for patients. You also must not be living and practicing in California, where we have a new law, where it's Ill, you will lose your license if you don't if you don't spout the standard of care. Are you aware of this, AB twenty ninety eight, so um, that's now a law here in California. Uh, so it, it's getting only worse; it's not getting better. But back to the why would they accept such high levels of morbidity and mortality associated with this this intervention? And I, what we've sort of put together is that it's a function of the hysteria, the panic, the uh, it, the over the top um, philosophy of the centralized public health authority that. All else should be ignored except this one pathogen and this one syndrome, and all else should be completely and categorically ignored, and and that led to untold harm, untold harm, and we're just starting to deal with that, and one of these may be exactly what you were talking about. So I want to get deeper into it with Dr. Victory. Uh, you can certainly comment on whatever I just said when we get back. We'll take a little break, and we'll be back with Dr. Kelly Victory. Consumer price index yet again going up. Stock market in turmoil. What's our government doing to quell the surge of inflation that is gutting American families? Oh, yeah, they're spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. It's time to do something about this. Visit birchgold.com. Now, I don't give investment advice, but you can visit Birch Gold, B-I-R-C-H, Drew. Birchgold Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Great people with almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401Ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let your savings lose value. Visit birchgold.com and claim your free, no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account and Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit Birchgold.com/slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. For a long time, I've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, genucel and the amazing results that both Susan and I have seen. I'm a big fan of Genusel's Silky Smooth XV. It's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves GenuCell's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to GenuCell's proprietary skincare technology.
3: I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to GenuCell, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great.
0: and receive an extra 10% off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout. That again is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
1: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate, public health, to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: And of course, we welcome Dr. Kelly Victory, ER, board-certified trauma ER specialist, 30 years of experience, uh, also uh, a psychologist before she was an a, a ER doc, and uh with some public health training as well. So Dr. Victory, I'll let you loose on Dr. Thorpe. He may want to comment on what I said before you do so. So let's give him a chance and then it's on you.
1: Terrific. It's all you, you wish, Dr. Dr. Kelly <laughs> thank you very <laughs> okay. much. <laughs> okay, well thanks so much for joining us. There's just a, a zillion things I want to talk with you about. You started with something that I have said over and over again from this at uh, the beginning of this pandemic, which is the truth that we never before in the history of medicine have used a therapeutic, an intervention on groups of people on whom it had never been tested. This is something that is a fundamental tenet of, of healthcare. Um, and these vaccines, I said from well before they were ever uh, launched on the public, I said they were never tested on pregnant or lactating women or on children or on people who'd already had and recovered from COVID, people with underlying autoimmune diseases, polyethylene glycol allergies, and on and on. And without doubt, there is something sacrosanct about pregnancy and children. And so those two groups, um, it is just unconscionable that these, these vaccines, quote unquote, were given to those individuals. Furthermore, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, as I said, my little intro there says, I am a firm believer in the risk benefit calculation for all things medical. And let's talk about the risk of COVID to people in the particular age group that you are treating, pregnant women. I have said from the beginning, and again, correct me if I am misstating it, that there's nothing inherent about pregnancy that puts somebody at a higher risk from COVID. The risk factors for bad out from COVID are well known. It's largely obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Is there anything in your mind and in your extensive experience that puts pregnancy in and of itself, makes somebody in a higher risk category that would perhaps change the calculus when it comes to that risk benefit calculation for the vaccines?
2: Excellent question, and and I want to address that. I want to go back to one of the things you said was that Pfizer didn't test it on pregnant women. They weren't supposed to, but they did. And all you have to do is look at that document that I was talking with Dr. Drew about and go to page 12, Pfizer 5.3.6 post-marketing uh, analytics. On page 12, there were 270 pregnant women, and there was a 46% complication rate from the vaccine in their own data. 46%, Dr. Kelly. And if that weren't bad enough of the 270, 238
4: weren't weren't even followed up. So they do have
2: the data and it was damning and they hit it. And they also used reproductive toxicology studies in animals and they faked the data they had a severe incidence of bone dysplasia, skeletal dysplasias
1: in the rat dams,
2: the rat fetuses, and they completely deleted it. And we have a whistleblower, uh, Sasha Latipova, um, and, and she's come out. She's been a long time in the pharmaceutical industry. She has those documents, and, and I've spoke with her about those. Now, to your point, is extremely important. Um, you know, Dr., Yourself, um, Dr. Kelly and Dr. Drew and I from different specialties, you know, we've all been told this line of reasoning, which is largely just anecdotal and empirical. Well, pregnant women have abnormal immune, or I won't say abnormal, compromised or diminished immune function because they have to accommodate the most successful transplant In the history of humankind, and that's a pregnancy. Remember, the fetus is completely antigenically and genetically different from the mother and the father that um, that fetus
4: has, mother or father. Um, So,
2: male or female, two sexes. So, we know that for sure. and, And so, that it is successful, is the immune system compromised, thus? Uh, giving a greater death rates to infections or greater incidence of cancer. The answer is we've always gone under that assumption. But I think that's a false assumption. And that's a very important point uh, that you made, uh, Dr. Kelly. Pennells and colleagues, actually from my, uh, my fellowship alma mater, University of Texas, Houston, just published last year in 2021, uh, a massive study uh, showing the exact opposite. Interestingly, the mortality rate from infection was half that, half of that in the non pregnant state. So uh, it would appear that that is not, that was a house of cards that has been probably refuted by more current and better focused studies. Um, so I think that's very, very important. The other reason why it should have never been rolled out. Is because we knew back in uh, the turn of the century that how effective hydroxychloroquine was, and um, and those of us that were using it, including myself. Um, by the way, hydroxychloroquine I've used for almost half a century. I, I've been I've been practicing medicine for almost half a century, not quite forty-three years. But in for forty-three years, uh, internists, rheumatologists. Obstetricians, maternal-fetal medicine docs have been prescribing 200 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine, aka Plaquenil, twice a day, even in the first trimester for patients of rheumatologic disease. So it's a very safe drug, but it was harshly, fraudulently demonized by fake doctors, by stakeholders, mm-hmm. by people with massive conflicts of interest, um, man deep. Uh, Dr. Mandy Mara, lead author of the 2020 May article on hydroxychloroquine from five continents, thousands, I think, massive number of patients. We all knew that that was fake. Uh, They were queried on it, and they couldn't come up with the data. It, It wasn't fraudulently manipulated. It was all fake. And it was ghost written, probably me, by.
0: I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt. That's the famous Lancet article, correct? Am I? Is that correct? That was yeah. a, or was a British medical, year, Lancet, and um, Lance, and I do want you to Lancet. know, yeah, let, yeah, and let me, let me uh, also tell you, I was doing my. You mentioned how medicine, internal medicine, we use the, with the, uh, the uh, black one all the time. Which was my, what I was scratching my head about when all the outrage started. With I, I prescribed it a million times, but I was just doing my my. Uh, you know, I do these every three year. These medical board prep things. You can just you can do these tests. And they're just they take a, they take three years to do literally, and I do them every three years. And I did my rheumatology uh, test called the MKSAP, and I and I did the rheumatology MKSAP, and in there they they one of the question was about Plaquenil in pregnancy, and it was it was making the point very strongly that it's so safe you could right. d- just don't even worry about it, leave it leave it going in pregnancy Well, I was like, wow, i don't I don't know any other medication in medicine where I have seen that that right. I, Tylenol doesn't get that kind of a wave through Correct. and uh, and that was not politically motivated. That was just what the, the re- reality of this medicine has always been. But anyway, we we have to kind of leave that topic a little bit in the dust because that's the one thing that can get us deplatformed. <laughs> but so let's Kelly, I'll let you shape the argument going forward.
1: Yeah, so but suffice to say that all of these things that you're rattling off, Dr. Thorpe, everything from the rib anomalies, the rib deformities that happened in the in the rats. Uh, that were tested with this vaccine, to the fact that Pfizer uh, deep sixed that information that they had on the impacts on pregnancy, all of these things. I am hoping from your lips to God's ears that this proves a case of fraud against these people because it will be the one thing that allows us to have liability or for them to not be under this blanket liability protection that they currently uh, enjoy because of the emergency use authorization. Right now, people who are harmed by these vaccines have essentially no recourse Um, against them because of the liability protection. And that falls apart if and when we are able to prove fraud. So we'll table that for a second. I want to get in specifically, you know, we we don't have a largely medical audience, but I do think we, I want to get into a little bit of the details. One of the things that I had raised the alarm bell about with regard to these vaccines in pregnancy, and I have nowhere near the experience you do, uh, but I was aware that the spike protein on COVID shares a protein that is very similar, if not identical, to a protein that's critical for the formation and implantation of a, a placenta. It's called synctin 1. My concern was if you are given this vaccine and you start cranking out these spike proteins, as your your DNA has now told you to do, uh, you will then develop antibodies to that spike protein. And in so doing, you will develop antibodies to the spike protein, but could also therefore be developing antibodies to this very critical protein found in a placenta, and that's critical for placental development. And that it could very easily result in either failure to implant the pregnancy or abruption, or termination, or some other placental issues. So I know you have, more than anyone I know, gotten into really the science of the placental issues that we're seeing as a result of these vaccines. Spend a little time talking about about that component of it, because I think that will hit home with a lot of the folks listening to us.
4: I will. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for that. Um,
2: And so this is round two. For, you, for your listeners and your audience, I, I urge you to go watch a documentary uh, written uh, and funded by Robert Kennedy Jr., a Counselor Robert Kennedy Jr., and by Ann, Dr. Andy Wakefield. And it was a documentary. It is. Go to their Children's Health Defense Fund and watch that. I will vote. This is a documentary on how the pharmaceutical companies went into Africa. And they basically used vaccines that were purposefully laced to make them infertile. What they did was they covalently bonded to the vaccine antigen, the molecule
4: HCG undeniable, irrefutable
2: not a, n- not just a, a, a passive bond but covalent bond, so that when that vaccine went into millions of of
4: uh, young girls. I'm talking about 12-year-olds,
2: 15-year-olds, young women. It permanently sterilized them or caused obstetrical complications. Why? Because it caused the body's immune system to make an antibody directed towards the hormone of pregnancy, HCG, that must be rendered intact for the pregnancy to survive. Now, They were
4: challenged and they were mocked and they were derided. And by the way,
2: I was one of the physicians that didn't believe them and that might have ridiculed them, maybe. I don't remember. But I was dead wrong and they were right. I've reviewed all that data. You know, I became uh, very suspicious around 2010. This is round two. This is proven. This is undeniable. This was not an accident. The pharmaceutical companies tried to hide it. They got caught with their pants down. Um, it's the same thing with this syncytion, except it's more sophisticated. Yes, syncytion is crucial for implantation. And it belongs to a domain of uh, uh, biomacromolecules bio in, in the fibronectin domain, you know, which, which cause attachment. There's another protein, not in the same family, but related, called fetal fibronectin that is responsible for pushing the amnion next to the chorion and maintaining it sealed. Okay, and, and we use that test. We've used it for 20 years for, to, to determine preterm labor. So what they've done is they put this molecule in the uh, man-made RNA, pseudourinary RNA, and it then uh, will translate into this protein. And yes, if this causes an antibody against Simpson 1, Yes, it has a potential of causing a pregnancy problem or making everybody sterile. I'm not saying that's what is happening, uh, but it potentially could contribute. The bottom line, Dr. Kelly, is we don't know. I'm giving a talk in two weeks for FLCCC, and they said, you know, charge me with the responsibility of uh, Dr. Thorpe's, tell all these women out here, what's causing the menstrual problems and how we treat them and the pregnancy problems. That's a really easy talk for me to give. Nobody knows. Uh, What we do know is in our studies that I provided you guys a copy with uh, Tiffany uh, Parato and and several uh, renowned investigators around the country uh, from Children's Health Defense Fund and others from both coasts and the central part of the country we wrote this article on MyCycleStory.com, which was Tiffany Paratos. She was the lead author and the uh, president and CEO. She got deplatformed by Facebook when there were 100,000 patients that she was following. Uh, it was an inconvenient fact, so the media deleted her. Um, so what we found was massive number of menstrual abnormalities and shedding of decidual cast. We don't know how to treat it because we don't know what's causing it. And I'm afraid that the obstetricians that don't know what's going on, including myself, because nobody's looking at it, do you treat this with a DNC? Do you get a, a vaginal ultrasound? Do you treat it with a um, with, with a heparin or a Lovenox, since it could be a microclotting disease? Is it a hormonal interruption uh, block at the level? We do know that the, the spike protein, the lipid nanoparticles, concentrates 118 old in the ovaries. They affect testes too, but I'm more concerned about ovaries because a woman uh, by 10 weeks before she's born only has a million gametes her whole life. And by the way, they start uh, uh, dying off as soon as the baby's born. So, you know, this is in stark contrast to the man that makes about a million testi- a million sperm gametes per hour, per hour, 150 million per ejaculate, whatever. So, so I'm a lot more concerned about women than I am men in terms of this potential, potential catastrophic multi-generational effect. So how does it work? I don't know how it works. But what I can tell you is that it's fact that it is a huge problem in women of reproductive age and it's contraindicated in pregnancy. It's banned in pregnancy. I agree with the UK government. The UK government for over two years has buried in their official UK.gov effect. the It's contraindicated. COVID-19 vaccines are not to be used in pregnant women or breastfeeding women. It's a very, very, uh, uh, this was very calculated because they knew, they put that at the end of Oh, 200 pages and it was buried. I didn't find this out until six weeks ago, but it's still there and it's there today. So um, it's very wise of them because they have plausible deniability. There are major problems. Uh, I I have a lot of emotional trauma. I have a lot of moral and ethical trauma from uh, having to see what I've seen in the devastation and destruction of my pregnant women, my preborn children, and my newborn children and, and women of reproductive age. I am, I am very, very uh, angry at this administration and the whole political situation where we as physicians have a formal gag order put on us. It all occurred, all 100 boards, exact same wording. You're not allowed to it, talk about COVID-19 or we'll label you as a disinformer, misinformer. Well, guess what, they're misinforming and they're killing hundreds of millions around the world by their misinformation. The way that they slandered the two drugs that were highly effective, they had a lot of blood on their hands, including those journals, because they eliminated drugs that were 99% effective. The science is in, the jury is out. Early treatment of COVID-19 is highly effective 99.99%. Ninety-nine point nine nine percent, and the vaccine was never necessary. In fact, that's the reason why it was villainized because it would have been illegal to roll out an emergency use authorization.
1: They also, yes, they they also speaking of things that were buried, um, you know, behind the scenes. Clearly, that the document, that Pfizer document, that uh, was leaked from the Japanese study uh, before these vaccines were rolled out. They knew darn well that the vaccine did not stay in the deltoid where it was injected, which people still to this day believe. Um, We knew from that Pfizer data that within hours, the mRNA made it to every major organ system, the heart, the lungs, the spleen, the the kidneys, the colon, and alarmingly, 11% of it ended up in the reproductive organs, specifically the ovaries. And that's something that was well known, uh, so it was very predictable in my mind that this would have profound impacts or could have profound impacts on reproductive health. Uh, Drew and I did a, a an entire show some some weeks ago on nanoparticles. Um, and if people don't recall, you know, the the mRNA in these vaccines is transported via these uh, quote unquote inert lipid nanoparticles. They, by themselves, we've known for decades, uh, are very toxic and have some significant reproductive health issues, independent of mRNA, independent of spike protein production, independent of all of this, lipid nanoparticles themselves. Is there anything you want to talk about? Is that potentially, in your mind, a significant contributor to the sorts of hey, things we are seeing mm-hmm. from? Yes.
0: Kelly and Dr. Thorpe, I'd want to just interrupt for a quick second. I just went on to the UK's website, and the uh, Caleb, if you can put this up, this is the Royal College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists and the Royal College of Midwives, who are strongly recommending women who are pregnant or breastfeeding to take the mRNA vaccine and booster. So that's, that's the UK. Now was a different.
2: The Royal College is very different than the document I'm talking about. The Royal College has not. You're to do talking with about the. the, UK. the
0: you're talking about the NHS. I just want to get clarity on all this. Right. No, I'm you sorry. were talking about the NHS?
2: If, if, you paper, if, you to, if you go to my paper that's published, the link's in there. The quote is in there. It's absolutely 100% undeniable. It's there. It's there right in now. the
1: NHS I sent it, well, I I it to you as well, Drew. Remember, I sent you the thing and it said... No, I do. That,
0: and then they had a second it said, page... And it said, then they had a second page that contradicted that. Remember, we were going back and forth on all that. So it just, it's very hard to know what they're doing over it there. Sounded,
1: it sounded to me very clear. They said that they do, that, if, that a uh, vaccine should be recommended to a woman of childbearing age only if it can be it documented that she is not pregnant or intending to get pregnant, is the thing that is I that sent page, to you. And that came from
2: Drew. the UK. Uh, Dr. Drew, what you yeah. have there is, yeah. has nothing to do with the UK government. Nothing. That's the, that's the Royal college. That's the
0: same as the American college of OBGYN. The government does say, Caleb, Caleb want to read what you, uh, what you highlighted there real quickly.
3: Yes. What it said on the screen, uh, it said that, uh, COVID-19 vaccines are strongly recommended in pregnancy. Uh, vaccinations are the best way to protect against the known risk of COVID-19 in pregnancy for both. And that was what,
0: What page was that? What was that? This was on the Royal college, uh, from nice. that. Uh, oh, that's the Royal yes. College thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we're we're, we're trying to get past that and get to the oh yeah. Is, uh, okay, so everyone do your do your own research. It it's weird over there, like it is here, right? I mean, it's weird in both countries. Um, but uh, keep going. I'm sorry, Kelly. Finish that thought about nanoparticles, and I'll I'll but, yeah, What I
2: was going to say that I think is really crucial here. We're we're talking about every time I come out and speak anywhere, write a paper, talk, I have to give a conflict of interest, and I do, and I don't have any. But the problem is, is there's major conflicts of interest with all the journals. There's a major conflict of interest with the CDC and the FDA. Listen, the CDC and FDA are proven fraudulence. They've sat on that Pfizer data since February 28, 2021. The FDA and the CDC have sat on that data. They've killed hundreds of millions all across the world and in this country, and they have done so purposefully. And by the way, what about their conflicts of interest, okay? The CDC and the FDA are funded to the tune of their annual budget of both of these 46% by vaccine profits directly from the pharmaceutical company or directly from patents of vaccines that
4: they own. They own royalties. That is totally inappropriate. Okay.
1: That No, I, I agree with you. And I think that there's fraud all around. And, and I think the conflicts run very, very deep. Um, with regard to go back for a second to this nanoparticle issue, because I just want to close the, the loop on that. Uh, as I said, we did an entire show on nanoparticles and the, the uh, studies really raising the alarm flags potentially about nanoparticles date back decades, way, way prior to, um, to the COVID-19 vaccines. So the idea that we were used, going to roll out a mass vaccine program that was predicated on these lipid nanoparticles, I think already had some concern. Do you believe that the lipid nanoparticles Maybe contributing in whole or in part to the reproductive issues that you're seeing.
2: I think it's possible, but the fact of the matter is nobody really knows. Uh, I think it's very plausible. You're absolutely right, uh, Dr. Kelly Schlapp like, and colleagues in 2012 published the uh, concentration in the uh, rat, uh, Wistar rat and mice model very elegantly. That's a decade ago. They they knew and and. But there are a lot of potential toxins in there that you are very familiar with, maybe more so than I am. The cationic uh, lipid uh, protein is extraordinarily uh, dangerous. The polyethylene glycol, goodness sake, um, that's uh, antifreeze, okay? We know that's toxic. Um, And um, only God knows what else is in there. And by the way, you know, it's illegal. Nobody in the world knows what's in the vaccine, and under the... under. legal prosecution, you're not allowed to look at it under a microscope or you go to jail. What's that about? Uh, Why don't they release the contents? And why have Rochelle Walensky and Babcock at the CDC and FDA admitted that they're withholding that Pfizer uh, 5.3.6? That's tantamount to third degree murder. That should never happen in the United States of America.
1: Well, I think it really, really begs the question or, or opens the door for us to talk about this issue of informed consent. Uh, and Drew, you know, mentioned this horrific, truly in my mind, the worst piece of legislation perhaps to have been passed in my lifetime, uh, California AB 2098, which fundamentally criminalizes a physician saying anything against the prescribed narrative of the government, which makes informed consent essentially impossible. Uh, it, it puts the patients at far more risk than the doctors, frankly. Uh, a, a physician can be completely and totally uh, safe if he or she just uh, you know, repeats the party line. But the patients, God help them, then have to wonder, is Dr. Kelly suggesting this or recommending this or telling me that this is the course of action I should take because she actually believes that? Is because she believes that that's what the science shows, that that's what's in my best interest, or because she simply doesn't want to lose her license or face repercussions from the medical board? That puts patients in a horrible position. It completely undermines the patient-physician uh, relationship and has no place in medicine. You cannot get informed consent if you can't tell the person what the heck is in it, and if you're not allowed to share with the patient what's in it. I personally have a profound polyethylene glycol allergy. It's been one of two allergies emblazoned on my chart for the past decade. And when I was in the hospital myself with an orthopedic injury, they asked me over and over again, tried to get me to get vaccinated. And I said, have you read the front of my chart where it says polyethylene glycol allergy in big red letters? And they said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You want to inject me with the thing that I am telling you I have anaphylaxis to? It, it's it's unbelievable. I've never seen this happen in in our lifetime. So the idea of informed consent. But Kelly, I'm going to ask you. Um,
0: yeah, the, this. I want to I want to drill. Have you guys drill into this a little bit? Because this, you know, as we, you and I try to piece together what we've all been through and you know, what happened in this whole mess that we're talking about. You know, I is it something about, and this is just a kind of a psychological question, I guess. Is, is it something about risk tolerance? In other words, when this thing got the when the when the pandemic got going, I I didn't feel the risk that was clearly going. You know, the 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 fact of what was going to happen that there were going to be a lot of people dying, a lot of old people really hurt by this, that. There were people that couldn't tolerate that risk at all. And remember, the one death is too many and all that kind of nonsense that people were spouting. Where, if that's true, you'd be willing to handle a lot of risk on the side of interrupting that thing that you thought was such an overwhelming, shattering. I've had people say things like, you know, you know species ending and crazy stuff there's nothing to, it was not even close to anything like that and yet people perceive that do you think that has some of the reason why we got into this mess i see dr the um our guest is nodding his head uh dr thorpe is nodding his head and and if that's true is that why they're maintaining the emergency not just use authorization but the emergency is it a state of emergency so they can continue to justify taking these extraordinary risks, distorting medicine in ways we've never distorted before because the species would have ended in their mind. There was nothing like that happening, but they got into some sort of hysteria where their judgment was literally compromised. And our risk tolerance is just different given what we think this thing was we just went to. Dr. Thorpe. I'll let you kind of address that. And then Kelly, I'm sorry, I'll give it back to you.
2: you know, I I don't want to speculate on on um, on that sort of stuff that I don't know absolutely for certain about everything that I've talked about. I will um, I will put my life, on. but some of the other stuff I can't get into people's motives. I would just urge your your listeners and both of you, if you haven't read Peter Bragan's book and um, uh, uh, McCulloch's book, and, and also. RFK's book, read the book. All the answers are in there. Everything you need to know is in there. While everything online is being erased, I would get those three bursts and keep them.
1: I I could tell you, this is something, Drew, you know that I've talked about a lot um, through this Mm -hmm. pandemic, that yes, of all of the egregious errors made uh, during this response, and that's a long list from which to choose, the greatest was them acting as if we were all at equivalent risk and therefore driving the Mm -hmm. kind of behavior exactly as you describe it. If you misunderstand your risk of something or are led to believe that you have this horrific risk of something, then yes, you are likely to take more uh, chances with regard to therapeutics or other things. The reality is they knew from the beginning um, that this was something that posed very little risk to the vast majority of the population. You know, I would say to you, my risk of having an opiate overdose is zero because I don't use opiates. So I don't need to worry about that. I don't have the same risk as others. Uh, likewise, we don't all have the equivalent risk of monkeypox. The issue is they tried to inject and have for the past several decades equity in public health. We all have to be equal uh, on this risk issue. Equal an outcome. We equal an outcome. We, yeah. A twenty-seven-year-old no, male we and
0: eighty-five-year-old female have to end up in the same that place. Life. That's just not possible.
1: Right. right, and and we didn't all have equivalent risk for HIV monkeypox or many, many other things. Healthcare and equity don't, you know, it is, they've really made, we are such a socially woke culture now uh, that we had to act as if we were all at equivalent risk, and I think that that is a big part of the problem, and that's a big part of the problem in public health. It gets back to that risk yep. benefit calculation, and you Again, can't not, make not that. Again, not equity of distribution
0: not, of resources, not yeah. not resource Correct. distribution, equity of yeah. outcome, which is an insane idea in a pandemic. It's just a, a truly an insane concept. But go ahead.
1: Co- um, co- Correct. So, you know, I guess one of the questions I would ask you, Dr. Thorpe, back to your area of specialty, have you looked at birth rates um, across the world, across the globe? Have you looked at, because I've read reports that are quite stunning, frankly, about decreases in birth rates not only in the U.S., but in in many, many um, European countries, places like, you know, Taiwan, I think down 26% or something just remarkable. You know, normally when when people are locked indoors and can't go to work and can't travel, you expect birth rates perhaps to go up, have a little uptick uh, when people don't have a lot of other things to do. Um, We've seen the opposite. So what are you seeing with regard to trends in reproductive rates?
2: Yeah, all over the world, uh, birth rates are down all over the world by at least 10%. Every single institution that keeps verifiable birth records are are down. And I just want to put this in perspective. Uh, This is a a three sigma event when birth rates uh, are down 10%. Let me say that again, let that sink in. Three sigma event, three standard deviations. Okay, this is... Extra, uh, catastrophic event. It's like uh, all cause, uh, and so yes, and and also newborn deaths. If you look at the just this week, it was announced. I've been following the Scotland data for a year now, and the new the the death rate, the neonatal death, and the infant mortality rate, uh, and the death in the first year of life is off the charts. There's they can't even keep up with the the morticians and the baby casket makers. They can't even keep up with the number. They've unprecedented. Same thing we've seen with the embalmers, unprecedented. Only after the vaccine is rolled out do we see these massive clots that um, you and Dr. Drew know that are not the same as pre pandemic clots that were primarily fibrin and that were easily susceptible to the heparins and the mm-hmm. anti 10As and, and the anti thrombin meds. These are not. These are the result of, of protein misfolding and they're proteinaceous. And I work with one of the embalmers, you know, who's close with me and it's just unbelievable stuff.
1: Yeah, to, to put it in layman's terms, just for the folks listening, these are the ones I've described that are sort of these white fibrous uh, clots, you know, clots. They are clots, but they aren't really made of blood components. In fact, when you look at the chemical analysis, they're lacking the key components of blood, like iron uh, and hemoglobin and potassium they, and zinc. Um, they are made clearly of. They are protonaceous, as you said. They are not made of blood products. They don't dissolve between your fingers when you um, roll them between your fingers. They're they're very very different um, from from the clots that we normally uh, treat with anti coagulants. Um, clearly you are a maternal and fetal specialist. You said you see, you know, in the range of 8,000 high risk pregnancies a year. Let's go to your colleagues who are on the fertility side. you know, one step before you, um, I presumably by the time patients get to you, they are pregnant rather than trying to get pregnant. If I understand your, your practice, Are, are you hearing much from the folks on the fertility side with regard to what's going on?
2: I'll tell you, uh, Dr. Kelly, that that uh, 99.99999% of all my specialty will not address this issue. Okay, and and back to what you know, um, what we talked about earlier. Listen, um, the California bill. Okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, this is where physicians need to say no. And I, I will remind you, physicians. Okay, in the Nuremberg trial there were uh, seven physicians that were in the Nuremberg trial and they tried to use this sloppy, you know, illegitimate defense. Oh, Oh, you know, they would have killed, I'm just following orders. They would have killed my family. They, you know what? All seven of those physicians hung. They were sentenced to death and they hung. Well,
0: and, the um, the AB uh, 2098 she, uh, in this state was writ- written by a physician, unfortunately, who is, yeah self righteous and uh, always okay. right well, always correct and all physicians
2: have a responsibility in California to say no okay we do not it's and this is where austria got it right you know the australian government now austria is austria, austria not australia is they know that this is killing people and they're saying you know physicians it's your responsibility and the, they're they're right, right. it's right. a physician's responsibility is a physician's responsibility to do their due diligence like i did. It's their responsibility not to follow orders, but to do their own due diligence. And they're, they don't, they're killing patients if they're being told what to do. And I personally will act as an expert witness against them if they continue to do this. There's a time when you cannot be weak. There's a time when, yes, take my life, throw me in the lion's den. Okay, throw me in the furnace, rev it up seven, five. But I'm not going against what I guarantee, what, what is sacrosanct in my life, which is my physician patient relationship.
4: I will never, ever let it down.
1: Well, I, I agree with you. It and I've, be- quoted John, I've quoted John Milton many times during these shows, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Thorpe virtue untested is no virtue at all. Um, and, and that is the truth. And these are, these are times that, that try the virtue of physicians for sure, for certain, go back for a second and, to the fertility. Kelly, go ahead. Yeah.
0: The, the one thing I would say we, we, we need, we though, oh, by the same token, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying about doing your own due diligence and standing up for, for your, our profession and for the patients, most importantly, but, um, we have a, also an obligation not to be hubristic and to check ourselves and watch ourselves and che- and constantly reevaluate and, and so again that that's that, that's my job here today is pushing back a little bit and uh i i think hubris is how we got in this mess it's the people who are hubristic that that did this that overreached and and created these crazy lockdowns and all these things that hurt people we we don't want to we want to caution ourselves not to be overly mm, not to be overly reactive in kind, I, I just say that that's just my just my public service announcement for us physicians that are trying to find our way through this in in a different way. Yeah,
1: no, no, but I I agree, and I think Doctor Thorpe's point though is very well taken. This is not the first time in history. When physicians have been co-opted uh, to do the dirty yep. work of the government, thinking that they yep. would be um, safe under the sort of you know the blanket of "I was simply following orders," um, and that isn't the case. We we went down that road before, and uh, I don't think we should go down it again. Um, go back for a minute to the fertility issue, because one of the questions I had was if we look at areas of the world, and I have not looked at this data, so I'm wondering if you have. Areas of the world that are not highly vaccinated, say Sub-Saharan Africa um, or India. I don't. I don't. You know what are the areas of the world that haven't been vaccinated and are or don't they have mRNA vaccines. Or yeah, are they seeing um, down ticks, you know, in their fertility rates or or birth rates or you know these sorts of problems? Is there any way to compare those areas that that don't have the same vaccination rates as we do here or Canada or Western Europe?
2: A brilliant question, uh, Dr. Kelly, and the answer is is we we don't have that data, and it's unfortunately, okay. the poorest of the poor country. Uh, uh, can't provide us with, with the data. Of course, the richest of the rich countries can provide us with data, but we're not for sure we can buy all of it. Um, so I, I think that I have a general feeling from all the reports that I have seen, You know, up in Canada, um, in China, in Japan, in Europe, Yes, the birth rates are definitely down in Scotland, in UK, in the United States of America, mm-hmm. um, Australia. I, I can't speak for China. I can't speak for Africa. Uh, I can't speak for India. Um, I cannot speak for them. Now, um, the as you know, the the uh, I believe that India did not use the mRNA vaccine. Um, and the vaccine that they used, uh, I believe, was an allergenic vaccine, a, a true vaccine, so to speak. Co-
0: covaxin. They had Covaxin.
1: Mm-hmm. They used Covaxin, correct. Which yeah. is not an—you're correct. It's not an mRNA vaccine. And so I think that that whole really virus. would be— it's a whole virus. Yeah, that would be really telling data to get a hold of and compare and look and see if, if there's uh, a way to start figuring out what's, what's the component of— of these vaccines that we're using that's contributing to all of these problems related to, um, to reproductive health. Um, so I guess if you, the last thing I would ask you with regard to your specific specialty is, are there buckets um, of, of complications? Are there certain classifications of complications that you're seeing in your pregnant patients that you've seen increases in? What, what, are, the, what are the problems that are happening? We know there are problems, what are they?
2: Miscarriage. Fetal malformation, miscarriage is is increased by a, a, a massive number. Um, fetal malformation, a specific fetal malformation, um, cystic hygroma, fetal cardiac abnormalities, fetal cardiac arrhythmias, fetal cardiac mm-hmm. malformations, fetal uh, cardiac arrest, severe placental problems causing Intrauterine growth restriction, severely uh, uh, unable to grow fetuses, um, a significant increase, and this is all compared with appropriate controls, influenza vaccine. Okay, it's off the record. If you look at the forest plots in my data, it's off the record. you it, it's, it's way off the charts. And and so we, the CDC and FDA say that if you have a, a, a relative risk or with it, um, a um, of two or greater, that's a severe danger signal that should be looked at. Um, ours are way, way beyond that with p-values, some of the p-values into a million. For those of you, uh, uh, your audience, a p-value is the chance of something statistically occurring uh, without um, just naturally. So it's very unlikely. Also, we saw fetal death. We saw abnormal fetal organ perfusion abnormalities that we, and, and, um, and many others, uh, I, I'm convinced that the, the reason uh, many of the children offspring were seeing VAIDS, V-A-I-D-S, Vaccine Induced Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. I purport, I suspect the cause of that is because of the thymus gland. The thymus gland is under the sternum and it's massive in the fetus. It's very tiny in us, but it's the organ that is responsible for seeding all the T-cell clones, all the Mm T-cell clones. And I suspect that, like, if you look at that uh, Japanese biodistribution data, it also concentrates in the thymus. But I I think there was a fourfold increase in the thymus, but that's an adult thymus. If you look at a newborn thymus, it's probably more like 120-fold because it's so vascular and lipophilic wow. so so you have remember that's a seed of your right hand of your immune system that's the that's it's humoral immunity is really pretty much meaningless really I can talk to you guys at length about that the antibodies are just a surrogate for the pharmaceutical industry to make lots of money the the meat is in the right hand of the immune system cellular immunity and these children may have lifelong dates because of that insult to the thymus in the utero.
0: I have two two questions I think, if I could. Uh, w- yeah. One is uh, people are asking for you to repeat the books that you wanted people to read. There's a sort of a callback for that. Or Caleb, maybe you can just put it up on the website. No, no, l- l- we can we can get it up later. I don't. Want he was talking
1: about Doctor Doctor Bregan's, <laughs> Bregan's book, Doctor Bregan's book, Doctor McCullough's Reagan, book, and yeah, and
2: yeah, if, and if Kennedy's book understand the ontogenesis of this pandemic. get read this book. This is the best book on it, and it's 600 pages and there's 1,100 references. Everything in here is reference. I don't go there about trying to figure out whether people are evil or this was plotted. Let this book speak for itself. It speaks for itself. You can't argue with it. Um, and then this book is McCulloch's book, Incredible book. Co-author, and then of course there's this book of the real Anthony Fauci, and RFK uh, documents uh, very, very carefully. I would buy these books, and I would keep them.
0: So, so the other the other question um, is, I I put a lot of uh, faith in my clinical impressions, my clinical experience, and I think I heard you quoting data. Does it does it is it recapitulated in your day in day out practice? in other words you you put a, a whole you listed a whole bunch of different fetal issues and is that reflective like, I, I, I'm I, always uh, very skeptical of medical literature until I, until my clinical experience confirms it. Because uh, often, as you know, clinical, the literature is often either behind or wrong. <laughs> and so if you're seeing something clinically that doesn't exactly fit with that, I, I put a lot of faith in that. I've been through many experiences like that in medicine. We we opened our conversation talking about that. Uh, does it fit what you're saying in your day-in-day-out practice?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it does, Dr. Drew. And, and I can tell you that um, I, I didn't go on a fishing expedition with this publication uh, that was just published. Um, you know, there's, I, I think there's probably 2,000, quote, abnormal outcomes that are listed in various database. But so I didn't go on a fishing expedition. I had very clear in my mind, inflammation, inflammation. Uh, Dr. Kelly, you asked, what causes the problem? What is it in the vaccine that, that kills the pregnancy cause problem? It could be the lipid nanoparticle. It could be the uridinated mRNA. Which, by the way, Doctor Drew, Doctor Dr. Kelly, just last week was confirmed. JAMA Peds, it is secreted intact in breast milk in right. five yes. of eleven. We saw that. Infants. Yeah. yeah. Let that yeah. sink in. Now, pseudo urinated mRNA is abnormal. It was pseudo urinated to prolong the lifestyle, uh, the life uh, time, uh, because when y- when. In, in, in my business, DNA is very stable in the peripheral blood. That's how we do our fetal testing. We, we don't do amniocentesis hardly anymore. We go to mom's blood, and we can harvest cellular-free DNA. We've been doing that for 20 years almost. And, um, and, but we can't do that with RNA. And we, want, we have many tests which we would like to use in my specialty based on fetal RNA or maternal RNA. But guess what? You can't do it because it's too unstable. 20 minutes. But now we have this man-made pseudo-uridinated mRNA that now is lasting weeks, and it gets transported to the cell. It gets, okay, we were told that it wouldn't stay, as you said, stay in the arm. It doesn't stay in the arm. You know, I was called a tinfoil conspiracist. Um, by the way, every time I've been called that, ask my wife, I've been they've been wrong and I've been right. But I called out, could this be... Uh, uh, placed into the human genome by reverse transcriptase, which is an enzyme we know that works. I got laughed at. (laughs) Two years later, there's two studies. There's two studies that document that it is reverse transcribed into human genome. Let that sink
1: in. Within six six hours.
0: (laughs) In in vitro, though, guys, right? In vitro studies, in vitro and liver cells. Correct?
1: They were right. they were yeah. in vitro, and, yeah. but it oh, happened very very yeah. quickly, Drew. It was within a matter of hours. Uh, is, I still want to hours, know what that
0: mechanism is. That's reverse so transcribed weird. Into, so into weird.
1: cells. Well,
0: well here's yeah.
2: Dr. Drew. The way it worked in this study, and these are these are people that are terming their studies. You know, pregnant people and stuff. They're they're all awoke and all this stuff. But they um, they found that the 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 MRNA was intact in the human cell, say in the liver or in the mononuclear lymphocyte, uh, wherever it was. And then it was transported out in a vesicle, a lipid-covered vesicle, human-made, that then goes back into the blood, goes into the mammary gland in the breast, and is excreted intact in the breast milk.
0: Guys, I think we have to begin to, to wrap up. It's been very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, I will give Kelly uh, last questions and maybe we'll give our guests last thoughts.
1: Yeah, and I won't even get go down uh, the, the road of another question because it, it's late. But I will say uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been unbelievably insightful. Yes. I think we... we won't know, and I've said this many times, for decades, frankly, uh, the exact toll this has taken, the depth and the breadth of the injuries that have been caused. Certainly when you start talking about impacting the future, the immune system of a developing fetus and what that child will have for perhaps lifelong uh, immune suppression, development of cancers that it wouldn't have had and on and on. We won't know that, let alone the uh, emotional, psychological, uh, spiritual toll that was taken on us uh, during this two and a half years. But you certainly sit in a very interesting seat where you are, Dr. Thorpe, um, with these women who are either pregnant or trying to get pregnant and trying to bring pregnancies to fruition. Um, So you have a a particularly interesting viewpoint on that. And as I said, something I think that most people feel, if nothing else, that that's the one group who we should have uh, left alone and not um, really gone down the, the path of interrupting that potentially, um, you know, sacred thing of, of childbearing. So, thank you for your insights.
2: Thank you very much for having me. And um, I, I, I don't make any apologies for my passion and my sticking up for my patients, my preborn children. And my newborns, um, I always will, and it's been very difficult for me to watch this vaccine causing such great harm to my patients. Thank you for having me.
0: Appreciate you being here. We may uh, bring you back yet again if you don't mind, as the uh, as the information begins to, to refine itself and define itself, and uh, this the story is not complete. Uh, we, we have a lot of no. missing. You know, gaps, you have a lot of studying that should be getting done. It isn't for some reason. one of the it's easy to get conspiratorial when you think of all the things they should have been or would ordinarily we would do that suddenly didn't get done in in the setting of all this. Uh which just again, I just I spent the whole pandemic just going, wow, wow shaking my head. Um the other than your getter, uh your getter handle, James A. Thorpe M D T H O R P anywhere else you'd like people to find you? Do you have a sub stack or anything? I've been
2: deplatformed platformed off every every <laughs> other platform, which should be no surprise to you, right?
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay.
4: Okay,
0: I'm We're you to like here right you're today. You're here today and <laughs> like everybody, everybody of course saw this it. Is, so. This is Kelly's Me Too movement. It's yeah. a little different than the previous one. <laughs> Susan, do you have any questions or anything? I know this. Oh, a topic. I'm in tears. You, you, I'm in tears you very over here. Interested in this? No, you,
3: you, you will be out there on all the platforms that did deplatform you, and that you will be heard. So we yeah. we pray that people will listen I, and understand.
0: I have I have one last question. Again, this is just a just sort of a wrap up question. I'm always, again, trying to understand what we've been doing and how we got here. It seems to me there, there. I remember early in the pandemic, there was a lot of, eh, pregnant women are fine. Then all of a sudden, oh my God, pregnant women are at higher risk. Oh my God, pregnant women do terribly. Okay, so this, this was the arc in the first nine months of the pandemic. Is it? Did, did we overreact to that? Was it rea- was it realistic that COVID had a significant deleterious effect on pregnancy, no. A and B uh, did not. Okay. That that's really my question. The, the overreach we've been talking about for an hour and a half, but the, but the question is, is it, is there anything rational in the fear that they no. suddenly developed about pregnant women and the, and the illness? because i I'm, I'm let me go a little further. one little further. you you in one of your articles, you have a very interesting uh, biological theory about infection or inflammation and in endothelial cells. And I really think something in that system of the relationship with the endothelium, the, endothelium, the macrocytes, the clotting system is something there is going on for sure. Um, and you're not, though, saying that the illness so much, did that you feel that the vaccine did more of it than the illness is that accurate or at least to the 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 consequence of the vaccine worse than the illness
2: absolutely the vaccine is worse than the illness and again remember dr drew 99.99 percent effective without the vaccine
0: yeah 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 all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, th- thank you, those of you uh, watching the restream carefully today uh, and also those of you on the Rumble Rants. And I hope you, those of you on Twitter Spaces were uh, able to hear us and uh, uh, were partaking of this interesting conversation. Uh, I will be back. Uh, Susan, am I back tomorrow?
3: Yes, sirree, Bob. Okay,
0: so tomorrow I will be just taking your calls. So please come back to Twitter Spaces and I will take your calls. And we can talk about these issues, and again, all the stuff that Kelly and I are accumulating here. Um, I urge you to go back and, and look at these interviews. They're very interesting. There's a lot of information in them. Some some of it's going to be turned out to be right, and was. Condemned. Some of it's going to turn out to be not so right. We just we need to just get this. this That's how medicine works. How it works, everybody. It is.
3: I have one thing to say before we go. go We did use the H word quite a bit today. So if we do get censored on on uh, YouTube, you will be able to share our other platforms, Rumble, Twitter, and um, Facebook with your friends if you want to share. But I'm hoping by the grace of God that they overlook. The conversation. Well, I,
0: I again, I tried to make that conversation palatable in the way that they have instructed us. Oh, we we're trying, to be, we're loud, trying so. to be good citizens here on your YouTube, everybody. We're taking our direction from you. Caleb, do you have any concerns?
3: Uh, no, I, I popped up the disclaimer that they've it, Look, This is YouTube's house. Yeah. If YouTube wants to set rules, I get it. This is their house. That's the way it works. So I just pop a disclaimer up so that people understand they need to look into it and see the info. This is your medical doctor is discussing medical topics.
0: And you should talk to your doctor. That's what we say it exactly. over and over and over and over again. So that we're get, we're just trying to get better understanding of what's happened and what's happening. That's so all, find all the links story. to the other
3: platform at drdrew.tv.
0: The other platform being? Oh, all, if, other not, if
3: you don't see us on YouTube.
0: And then, uh, Caleb, I'm sure you'll put the books up, too, if people want to read those. So that yes, they're sure. already up on the all website. All right. So to see you. Thank you to Dr. Kelly Victory, thank you to Dr. James Thorpe, and Susan, Caleb, thank you for producing this, and we'll see you all tomorrow for calls only, 3 o'clock Pacific Time, we'll see you there. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only.